ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Oh, what's happened here? Azil Rashid was just ambling around, actually. Mendes has thrown the stumps down at the non-striker's end and, and looks in a bit of trouble here, I think. Watching it now. Well, there you go. The bales have lit up and Adil Rashid's bat is nowhere near the crease. It happened again. Another Englishman did not stay in his crease. It remains to be seen if Sri Lanka will be taken to task by Johnny Bairstow and co, but we do know this World Cup has not been a win so far, moral or otherwise, for the Poms. It's looking a bit brighter for the Australians, who face a huge clash this weekend with New Zealand. We're going to check in on them with Corbin Middlemass. We will also preview a heavyweight rugby World Cup final with Nick McArdle. Plus soundbites, I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily. Corbin Middlemass is one half of the excellent Grandstand Cricket Podcast. Corby, we are at a critical juncture for the Cricket World Cup. As an Aussie fan, look, I was pretty flat after losing the two opening fixtures. The Aussies have won three on the bounce since Saturday is a crucial moment against New Zealand. But how and why have they been able to change the vibe around themselves? Well, I think they're starting to find their level somewhat. And it probably all it matters on sort of who you play when. So you look at Australia's draw... And you can make a pretty good case they played the two best teams first up. So th- they lost and they played teams that are you know well and truly in title contention. India at home, South Africa, who have a devastating batting lineup. But I think more of the concern was the way in which Australia was playing. So heavily beaten in both games. And the Sri Lankan match felt, felt to me like the classic sort of grinded out game where Sri Lanka put on over 100 for the first wicket. They finally made some inroads, able to run through them. There was the monsoonal-type weather that swept through, and on the back of Adam Zampa picking up four wickets, they were able to get out of there with a five-wicket victory, but didn't really convince anyone. But it sort of built a little bit of confidence in the group that, yep, no, we're still a really good cricket team, and this is what we're capable of. And then they've been able to flush it out with the bat in their last two games. So that's something we haven't said about this Australian you know, team in 50-over cricket probably for about a year since that, uh, that, that bilateral series against India where they played really well away from home, won it going back to, to last summer. And now we've started to see, you know, scores that are knocking on the door of 400 in, in back-to-back games. So David Warner, uh, his one-day form's never been a problem. There's been question marks about, obviously, his form at test level and in the shortest version of the game in T20s in recent times. But um, he showed his class in the 50-over format and then for what an innings from, uh, from Glenn Maxwell to compliment that the other night against the Dutch. So two big wins, and it feels like with four games to go, um, that the toughest challenger on the run towards the semifinals is uh, is clearly our, our crosstown neighbour in uh, in New Zealand on Saturday. We'll hit them in a second, but just on Glenn Maxwell, I mean, I know it was only the Dutch, but did you think he still had that kind of innings in him? Uh, we haven't seen it for a little while. Uh, I know that a lot of people out of the IPL were sort of saying, look, this it's Glenn Maxwell of old and look what he's capable of. And he's you know, not old in cricket terms, obviously, into his 30s. And that's generally where we see, you know, batters really find themselves. Um, that, that was a phenomenal innings. And some of the shots in particular, you know, where he's uh, your re- reverse slog sweeping <laughs> the fast bowlers. The leader to Maxwell. Goes on the reverse. Whoa, what a shot that is. That's insane. He's done nothing more than just tap it. 
for six over deep backward point. Just extraordinary hitting in the end. And uh, interesting to note that he mentioned in the uh, in the post-match press conference that he knows what all these records are for fastest 50s and fastest 100s. And certainly when it comes to, to World Cup cricket, he completely obliterated that mark. So Adam Markram previously in a 49-ball 100, which was earlier in the tournament, uh, he, he does it here in uh, in 40 balls. And what a what a phenomenal knock. Probably individual performance of uh, of the tournament so far. Let's get on to New Zealand. It feels like so much of this campaign hinges on this clash on Saturday. I know that Australia's not done if they lose, but win and it feels like a real full swing in momentum. Can you contrast where our neighbours are at and where we're at, sort of big picture and indeed this tournament? So the Kiwis have only lost to India so far and as we've set up right throughout the tournament, you've got to beat India in their conditions to win the World Cup. It feels like the only way that some other team other than other than the host nation is, is going to win it. So there's no shame in that. The loss that they actually had to was at the same venue at Durham Shala. So New Zealand have had a little bit of experience in these conditions and I think the ground is going to play sort of a big role in the fixture. The Australians will be hoping it suits them given the fact that the ground is, you know, what, 1,400 metres above sea level. It's got the you know, Himalayas in the background uh, and, it, and it will sort of suit fast bowling more than just about any other ground in, in India. So the Australians will be buoyed somewhat by that. Um, but New Zealand, interestingly, they've they've got a few of the name brand guys still in that team when you look through it. But it's the key roles that the new faces are playing, which are particularly interesting. So you look at someone like Ranchan Ravindra, who's had a tremendous tournament so far, picked from relative obscurity, probably wouldn't be playing if someone like Michael Bracewell was available. And then even Daryl Mitchell, who's really been a fringe player in recent times, playing in the middle order as that batting all-rounder type. All of a sudden, he's been elevated to you know three or four in the batting lineup, and has you know, added responsibility and, and scored a superb hundred at this ground against India just a couple of days ago. And Mitchell pushes into the gap and gets a hundred, punches the air, and a very fine hundred off exactly one hundred balls. Off comes the helmet. That's the part for me that's interesting is the the new faces in the key roles that they've got in their lineup compared to the Australians who have decided to go with the same name brand guys. So. Um, and I understand how you end up in that position where you kind of go, well, if we've got a Maxwell and a Stoinis and all the usual fast bowlers with Stark, Hazelwood and Cummins, you know, are we really going to, to look to someone else or are we going to stick with what we've got? And rather than taking a punt on a Nathan Ellis or a um, Sean Abbott, who's on the, yeah, in the squad but not in the 11 at the moment, or even a Matt Short, for example, they've decided to go with, with the experienced guys and the, the trusted players that have, have got it done for Australia in the past. So I think that's the one contrast that, that really stands out, as, uh, as noted by our good friend Ed Cowan on, uh, on the Grandstand Cricket Podcast last week. Time to finish, Corbin. It happened again. Much like Johnny Bairstow, someone in the England team, did not stay in their crease. It's just funny. What's gone wrong <laughs> with Adil Rashid and England more broadly? This, this was worse than the Kerry one, wasn't it? So <laughs> Kerry, the ball's come through to Kerry. Kerry's underarmed it back at the stumps, albeit it is in an Ashes test match and everything else. And uh, obviously, um, Bairstow's out of his ground and we know the kerfuffle that happened afterwards. If you missed it the other night, so uh, Kushal Mendes has taken the ball and seemingly sort of walked away casually as if he's about to you know, fling the ball to the fielder and it makes its rotation back to the bowler. 
but quickly notes, hang on, Adil Rashida, the non-striker's ends out of his ground. So whips off the glove, throws with the inner, and throws the stumps down at the non-striker's end. And there's Adil Rashid just dawdling out his crease. <laughs> sure enough, short of his ground, England are folding like a cheap tent. Uh, and all of a sudden, they, they go from, what, eight to nine down all of a sudden when uh, when their spin bowler's just wandering uh, out of his crease. So, um, you know, some lessons you've got to learn a couple of times. You know, England's in absolutely dire straits here, 147 for nine. There isn't much good news for people back in England to listen to. Their campaign is in absolute tatters. We look forward to oh. you and Eddie Cowan picking it all apart in depth in the Grandstand Cricket Podcast. It's the best cricket analysis going right now. You can catch that anywhere you get good podcasts. You can catch Australia v New Zealand on the ABC Listen app. It's live and commercial free. Corbin Middlemass, thanks so much for your time. Thanks, Stackman. The Rugby World Cup concludes this weekend as Southern Hemisphere heavies New Zealand and South Africa go head-to-head in France. Stan Sport host Nick McArdle is going to pick it all apart for us. Nick, I think for Wallabies fans, this feels like that cinematic classic, Alien vs. Predator. Hard to find someone to cheer for. <laughs> help, us, help us understand who we should support and why, maybe. Oh, that's a hard one, Patrick. Um, good to good to be with you. Yeah, so so two teams, um, and I was looking through it. Apart from the two World Cups that Australia won in '91 and '99, and of course England here in Australia in '03, these two have shared the spoils over over the journey since 1987. So three each. So one of these teams will win a fourth World Cup, become the first team to do so. And uh, South Africa looking to go back to back. They are the reigning world champions after winning in Japan in 2019. Who to cheer for? Well, depends how much you uh, dislike being beaten by the All Blacks uh, every year in the Bledisloe and the Rugby Championship. Um, South Africa, just such a, a powerful team. They only really know one way in big games and that is to bash the opposition. England led almost all the way in this semi-final. That ball's gone forward at the breakdown, and there it is. There it is. South African hands aloft. And they will attempt to do that, uh, and, and that's indicated by the, the seven, seven, one, seven forwards, one back on the bench. It's almost unheard of until this year at the World Cup. They've done it a couple of times. So they'll be trying to play a forward-orientated game, uh, whereas New Zealand will look to play a little bit more expansive with some pace and some width and try to run those those big South African forwards off their feet. Inside ball to Will Jordan. Look at him go. He's going to kick for Jordy Barrett, but it might work out for himself. Oh, look at that. That's the pick of the bunch from the All Blacks tonight. The All Blacks will play in a record fifth World Cup final. Utterly dominant over Argentina. But in terms of who to barrack for, I'm leaning towards South Africa uh, just because, I don't know, there's just something I've just seen too many Wallabies teams had their pants pulled down by the All Blacks over too many years. So I won't mind if South Africa goes back to back. Yeah, I think you're right. The scar tissue is significant from the All Blacks. From a New Zealand perspective, can you tell us about the coach? Kind of an odd dynamic there in the sense that he's kind of got uh, a foot out the door. Is that going to play into things at all this weekend? It's a strange one, you know, because I would have almost expected it to have played into their campaign as a whole. 
And maybe it has, but in a positive way. So um, Ian Foster, uh, he was asked to reapply for the role. Um, they were going to open it up to, to new candidates. This is four or five months ago. And um, he just said, listen, he said, I, you know, I've been there, done that, really, you know, do I have to? And, and if I do, I'm probably not interested. So he didn't reapply. Um, and then Scott Robertson, the highly successful Crusaders coach, was announced as the new All Blacks coach uh, to be taking over after this World Cup. So it created this really interesting dynamic where Ian Foster, who I've got to say under Ian Foster over the last two years, the All Blacks did have a bit of a dip. They they weren't, this was the, the catalyst for all of this probably came last year where they weren't playing their best rugby. And, um, but what he's managed to do and whether it's, you know, him managing to do it or the team behind the scenes having come together to unite behind him, but all of a sudden they're playing some of their best rugby that they've played in years and, and looking, you know, almost unbeatable. They, they have been on a roll since they lost their first game of the World Cup against France, the hosts, but since then they have been untouchable and, um, and playing really good rugby. So, yeah, it's a really interesting dynamic around the coach. Uh, but he would love to go out, and I think they'd love to send him out in, in the right fashion with a win over South Africa. Whoever you're cheering for, it is going to be a ripping game of rugby. You can catch it all on Channel 9 and Stan Sports Sunday morning. Nick McArdle will be hosting the coverage. Nick, thanks so much. Good on you, Patrick. Good to catch up. Time for Sound Bites, where we give you some of the best audio we heard all week. We mentioned Glenn Maxwell's insane hundred earlier, but what about the fact he didn't even want to be out there? I got to be. I was sitting in the change room and I didn't really want to bat. Staying with cricket, and you know when you see batters changing bats all the time these days, do you ever think do they really need another new one? Well, in the WBBL, Grace Harris knew she needed a new stick. Here's what happened. Hey guys, I need a new bat. A new bat. Nah, nah, it's alright. Classic Grace Harris behaviour. Stuff it, I'll still hit it. Stuff it, I'll still hit it. I love that. She's box office. There's no doubt about that. There it is. And she's still in it for six. It is extraordinary stuff. She's right. She did warn us. And speaking of warnings, we were told that 19-year-old Frenchman Victor Wembanyama would light up the NBA. And his opponent, Luka Doncic, was certainly impressed after his Dallas beat San Antonio on the teenager's debut. Uh, He didn't seem like being nervous, so... Uh, hit oh, sorry, sorry. It's the first game. We're getting back into it. <laughs> nice early season F-bomb on air from Luca. The Ange Postacoglu love-in is getting almost ridiculous at this point. Australian football, English football, now American football. And by that, I mean the National Football League. Here's Baltimore Ravens coach John Harbour on Big Ange. I really enjoyed uh, Tottenham. The head coach was amazing. I mean, I really like that guy. He's really good with people. He really understands, you know, just how to motivate a team and how to build an organization. He's done it in different places. I just was kind of trying to pick his brain as much as I could. Legitimately, who will next be infected with Postacoglu fever? This is out of hand. I'm Patrick Stack. This is ABC Sport Daily, produced by Declan Byrne. It's been great to be back this week. Have a belting weekend. Thanks to the Rugby World Cup, Fox Sports and ESPN for the extra audio used in this episode. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.